You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 156. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. This is the third and final part of my interview with the multifaceted Julie Nathanson. Julie has worked on many high-profile animated projects, such as Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, Elena of Avalor, and Avengers Assemble. She's also worked on major video games such as Call of Duty, Far Cry 5, and LEGO DC Supervillains. In addition to her voice acting work, Julie is also a professional screenwriter for television and video games. And if that weren't enough, Julie also has a master's degree in clinical psychology. Her broad range of interests and talents all inform and enrich each other, and I'm so grateful she's been willing to spend so much time talking with us. In the previous episode, Julie explained how she made the transition from on-camera acting work to voiceover, and how she took an audience member's criticism of her voice and transformed it into the inspiration to begin a whole new career as a voice actor. She also shared with us her three-step process for understanding a character. If you haven't listened to her outline her process in detail in the last episode, I strongly suggest you check it out before proceeding to the final part of our interview. As we wrap up our discussion, Julie gives her advice to the aspiring voice actor. She explains how important it is to be friendly and pleasant while collaborating on a project, so that people in the entertainment industry will look forward to working with you again. A positive attitude can help in other ways, too. For example, Julie's enthusiasm and genuine interest in her peers means that she feels happy for her fellow voice actors when they succeed, rather than feeling jealous of their accomplishments or self-critical for not booking a particular gig herself. By maintaining this spirit of positivity and support, Julie is not only able to feel inspired by the work of her colleagues, but she can learn from what they do as well. Julie also discusses how her study of psychology has informed her approach to acting. While it's clear that her insight into the human psyche helps her own artistry, she's also been generous enough to share her knowledge with others. Recently, Julie gave a very important presentation at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco on how game developers can use discoveries in psychology and brainwave synchronization to help improve collaboration between voice actors and the people who make video games. It's a fascinating topic, and I'm sure you'll find it very enlightening. And now, the feature segment. What I'd love to do now in the interview is to ask, what advice would you have for the aspiring voice actor? Now, Lord knows you've shared a lot of your process already, <laughs> but I was thinking that to maybe... To Yeah, to a fault. <laughs> Sorry. But maybe we could also talk, if, if it's apropos, we could also talk about maybe some of your psychology background, mm -hmm 
how that might flow uh, flow into that. Um, maybe the panel that you did at, at the Game Developers Conference, sure. and um, and also how you balance it with writing, right? <laughs> Which I, you're still doing. Yeah, yeah? very okay. much so. So start. What, what what would be out of the gate? What's your advice to the aspiring voice <laughs> actor? Well, I know I mentioned it earlier, but um, how you show up as a human being matters. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are you know, there are classes that need to be taken and there are things that need to be studied and I will absolutely mention them in half a second. Mm -hmm. But first I will say it matters how you show up in the world. People don't want to necessarily keep working with the person who walks in the door with an attitude, with, um, you know, uh, sort of a sense of entitlement, Mm -hmm. right? Um, those who walk in the door grateful to be working and excited to be there and enthusiastic about a project, people want to keep working with those people. Mm-hmm. And I do think that kindness and collaboration are important to the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that really has to do with how you are as a human person. Mm-hmm. In terms of the work itself, as I said, I tend to be inspired by other people more than I do feel competitive with them. So if there is, you know, um, I will watch cartoons and I will see my friends on them and I'm interested in what they're doing. I'm not going, how come I didn't get that? Mm -hmm. I'm going, oh my God, Kari Walgren is so amazing. I can't believe how amazing she is. Listen to that. Wow, how did she do that? Wow, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I'm allowing myself to be inspired by it instead of being jealous. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that matters too. So studying performances that you admire, mm-hmm. um, I think it's really important to take classes. Um, I know that my story didn't begin that way, but I have, as I've moved in, in terms of taking voiceover specific classes, mm-hmm. um, as I wanted to up my game in animation, mm-hmm. I started taking more of the workshops, and this was deep into my career. This was well into my career. I went, you know what, I need to see what is happening currently um, in Disney. What is Nickelodeon looking for right now? What are the, you know, what's the, what's the, the thing that they're wanting to hear most, mm-hmm. um, you know, over at Lucas? And, I, and I'm studying because I want to keep learning, Mm -hmm. but I'm also allowing myself to be in front of a voice director, a casting director, being willing to make a fool of myself. Mm -hmm. You know, when I I said I talked to my mom earlier about this stuff, and she's like, you had no shame. I said, what do you mean? (laughs) And she said, well, I mean, you know, you certainly got embarrassed. You know, I was, you know, teased plenty, and I didn't like it. I certainly had plenty of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. But in terms of being able to perform and not worry about how I'm seen, mm-hmm. that part of it, she, this is not what you asked me. <laughs> my mom, I'm sorry, but this is a funny story. Yeah. So my mom worked in um, a state hospital and she was working on, I think it was either right after she got her doctorate or right before. Mm-hmm. And so she said that, um, that I would just to make her laugh or to mortify her, mm-hmm. we would be on the street and I was, she said, like, I was five years old. And I would just stop in the middle of the street and I would, on the sidewalk with her, and I would grab onto her legs and go, no, mommy, don't take me back to the hospital. I don't want to go. And she said, I would just completely just scream. And ju- and I was doing it to be hilarious. Yeah. And she's mortified. And she's like, you had no shame. You just wanted to perform. And you made me laugh. And I encouraged you. And it's all my fault. <laughs> so... 
um, to turn this back to your actual question, like, you know, allowing yourself to be silly and goofy and look ridiculous and sound ridiculous, mm. that's important. Yeah. If, you know, the self-consciousness I experienced as an on-camera actor that, I, you know, I remember it. I don't know if other people saw it. Mm-hmm. I felt it. I was lucky. I worked, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, I, I left on-camera acting because I fell in love with voiceover and mm-hmm. because I was given an opportunity to write on an NBC show. Mm-hmm. So I went, okay, I'm going to give up on-camera acting. And I was relieved mm-hmm. for me because I never had that full sense of play that I do at the microphone. Yeah. To me... Best advice I can give is play. Find a way to get back to the, the little kid who could, you know, crap onto my mom's ankles in the middle of the sidewalk and make a fool of myself and make a fool of her because it's fun. Yeah. And not, not worry so much about how it's coming across. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rest, the technical stuff gets tacked on later. Mm-hmm. But the heart of it is how wild can you play mm-hmm. and I think that's the heart of any performer yeah right I mean I didn't take any voiceover classes before I started working in anime in New York City right. uh, I mean I was in grad school and mm-hmm. acting and I've been doing all this acting stuff but it wasn't until I was making the decision to move out to LA that I finally mm-hmm. actually took some literal voiceover classes right. and then more when I got to LA but even when I first came to LA right. the classes that I were taking were actually on camera classes I mean but and, and that all matters right so if mm-hmm. you want to be a voice actor yes I do think it's important to start with a with a base knowledge of acting mm-hmm. and it's all self exploration anyway I mean you want to talk about psychology you know one doesn't really exist you can't really exist as a performer and, and have an authentic performance without knowing yourself well enough to be mm. able to get there. Yeah, you think so? I do. Sometimes I feel like there are actors who are just raw nerves. And, and I mean, they usually seem to burn out pretty quick. But they mm. seem to give pretty compelling performances. And I'm not sure they're terribly self-reflective or aware. Mm. I mean, I, I would not encourage that. I would agree with you. I, I would think that it, far better to be... Uh, self-reflective and to understand the depths of your own psychology so that you can perform from a psychologically healthy place, mm-hmm. right? So you can explore depths and come back and not get lost in them. Um, I think you make a good point. Maybe that maybe that's too sweeping a statement on my part yeah. because I think there are times when someone is simply either a raw nerve or, or you know, able to just escape into a character um, without necessarily being able to, you know, analyze their own behavior or have the emotional intelligence necessary to go there. Um, I, I mean, know... think Marlon Brando was fa- infamous for being completely unable to, to articulate his process. But that doesn't mean he didn't have one. It's true. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, clearly he had one. Right? Right. But if he, if, he, if he can't articulate it, is he self-reflective about it? I don't know. I don't know that articulation is the only way we can prove whether or not someone has a process. Right? Right. If it's organic, right? right? If it's just this is how it flows, this is something I feel, mm-hmm. even that process is, it has to do with a, a relationship dynamic. I mm-hmm. guess that's more to the point in terms okay. of psychology, right? 
to be able to understand a scene and figure out how are these two people interacting with each other. You mm -hmm. have to be able to react as if you're in the experience, mm -hmm. right? And there is some element of understanding human dynamics and human psychology to get there. Yeah. Not absolutely. everybody needs to study psychology to get there. Right. You know, and, and you know, I had chapters thrown on my bed for me, so I <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, before I start playing this character, let me let me look at the Excuse DSM me. and figure let me, out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Page forty two of my father's second book. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. For listeners, I referenced the uh, was it the diagnostic? And it is the diagnostic statistical statistics, manual. Statistical manual. Yes, and we are on five, five. now. Yes, we are on five. Which How do you know that? I'm well. impressed. <laughs> um, which tends to be the uh, uh, the menu for trying to figure out <laughs> what uh, psychological distress somebody might be under, the classification yeah. criteria yeah. For, for different uh, mental all the, uh, All the diagnoses are, are listed in there, and for better or for worse, the, uh, the, the Western medicine perspective is that you can find some category for anything. Yes. But I think we all have flavors of lots of things yes. in us. Yes, and all, those diag all that stuff is hotly contested, I'm sure. It is hotly contested. And, I don't know. I always like to look at it as, you know, it's a, it's a great way to figure out treatment planning and it's a really great way of, of understanding some of the world that someone might be in. Yeah. But it can't define each person. Sure. You know, I, I, I don't think anyone wants to be defined as, you know, I am a depressed person. I'd yeah. rather look at, okay, I'm a person who struggles with depression. I have a challenge with depression. I'm fighting against it. I am working on my relationship with depression. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an outside entity. It can't be who you are. So let's then talk about how does your knowledge of psychology, how do you uh, find that applicable to your acting? And is there any aspect of it that you might recommend to aspiring actors? One of my um, we, we, I had a sister podcast, the Voice Acting Mastery Field Report, that ran mm -hmm. for a while. And one of the correspondents on that, Maureen Price, did a wonderful series about mental health mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, emotional hygiene, I think was mm -hmm. the term that she used. <laughs> I like that. You know, to sort of keep yourself in a healthy yeah. place, especially in any sort of uh, performing or artistic career, which mm -hmm. can be really mentally challenging. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice on that front from, with all of your psychological knowledge and background? <laughs> Um, in terms of the academic pursuit of psychology, I mean, I, I, I happen to have a fascination and I'm, you know, I come by it honestly. Mm. You know, the books by my bedside table would, I mean, it's so confusing. They're on, you know, they're writing, it's fiction, it's fairy tales, it's psychology, it's diagnostics, it's ridiculous mm -hmm. <laughs> is what it is. Um, so in, in terms of, you know, anything necessitating a, an, an extra degree, n not necessarily for others, mm. but I will say that... Um, Understanding yourself is pretty key. Mm -hmm. um, I have found therapy to be very useful for me at many times in my life. Mm -hmm. um, a lot does come up when you have a career in the arts. Mm -hmm. As a creative person, whether I'm writing or I'm performing, mm -hmm. I have to be able to tap into something pretty deep. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's funny, even if it's just a wacky, crazy character, you know, that can take a lot out of you. Mostly for the traumatized characters, though. It's, it's tougher. Um, when I, um, I got to play Jess Black in Far Cry 5, mm -hmm. um, which is a, 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 a really, it's, uh, that character was really tortured. She mm -hmm. had a lot that happened in her history, and she probably had the most traumatic history of any character I'd ever played. Mm -hmm. Having a working understanding of PTSD and being able to dive into a place for her um, 
from an understanding of what it is to move through trauma was new for me, actually, mm. truly calling upon working knowledge of psychology. Um, absolutely informed my experience as Jess. Mm. Um, and it was the first time that I felt really concretely utilizing that skill. Interesting. Um, the rest of it has been part of who I am. I am innately curious about how other people think and operate. I want to understand, you know, what in your history has given you this this understanding and philosophy of the world. What were those experiences and, mm -hmm. and whether those core beliefs are still true today? And these are questions I would ask any person I wanted to get to know. Mm -hmm. Being able to do that as a performer or as a writer is a huge bonus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I'm writing, yeah, a little bit of, of what you're saying in terms of having, you know, not having a conversation with Superman, um, as, as you described, soups. Um, Soup, soup dog, um, but uh, <laughs> but but for me, I am I am vocalizing the dialogue as I'm writing it. Uh -huh. Male, female, doesn't matter. I'm I'm constantly allowing myself to sort of slip into that character and see what it feels like, make sure it feels true to me, and that's very similar to the empathy we use in psychology, the empathy we use when truly relating to people. So when you're actually writing the dialogue, mm -hmm. are you speaking that dialogue out loud? Is that what you're saying? Sometimes I am, sometimes yeah. I'm not. It depends on it depends on what I'm writing. Gotcha. Um, when I did, I did I did a bunch of writing for um for a Disney uh a, a bunch of mobile games for Disney mm. where I did um, scripts for, like, um, what was it? Um, like, royal celebrations. It's a, a bunch of Disney princess apps. Mm. And so I found my... I mean, I'm, I watched every one of the Disney princess movies so many more times than anyone I've ever met. I mean, and I have them all memorized <laughs> at this point. But, you know, if I have to write in Merida's voice, if I have to write something, you know, in Cinderella's voice, yeah. you know, I'm, I am doing my own sort of um, amalgamation, right, mm -hmm. of, 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 you know, what are the words that I want Cinderella to say? How might she say it? You know, how is Jen Hale going to sound when she does it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, for, for certain things, I am doing a bit of it out loud. Mm -hmm. Other times, it's part of the process of editing for me. Mm. I'll write it with a sense of, of how I think it'll flow, and mm. then I'll read it out loud, out loud later. Gotcha. And if people wanted to, to understand more about psychology, is it the kind of thing we just encourage them to... Uh, find books about it, or are there? there there's a, a book that I'm reading right now that I'm. I, I think I mentioned that I'm. I'm really just devouring called Wired to Create, mm -hmm. and it, it really is breaking down a bit of of the psychology behind the creative mind and heart. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm finding it really quite inspiring. I think um, anybody who wants to have an understanding of the world around them can start with themselves. Mm -hmm. I do think. We all can use a little bit of therapy. So going in a meeting with someone and talking about, you know, your own world and how your mind works mm. will only serve to help you understand the world around you. Sure. Um, I think that in terms of I'm trying to think if I have any um, book suggestions, you know, I there are so many wonderful podcasts at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of. One, I again, I really like this guy who wrote Wired to Create, Dr. Kaufman. Yeah, and I'm not, um, I'm not asking yeah. you for a uh, class syllabus, yeah. um, but the idea is that because you know, not everyone goes and gets theirs masters <laughs> in clinical psychology, right? I had no choice. Why it, is that? I had no choice. Well, I mean, to be totally honest, I, 
I and always... when in the world did you have time to get a master's in psychology? And when did this happen in the in the course of your acting career? In the course of my acting career, I was deep in my career mm-hmm. when I finally permitted myself to go for the master's in clinical psych. Okay. I, you know, as I've said in this. <laughs> This babble zone that you're, you've been, you've been succumbing to my babble zone here, um, my captive audience. I'm really sorry. Um, I the integration of self has been really important to me for a long time. I thought that everything had to be very separate. So once I embarked on a career in entertainment, I figured, well, I can't possibly, I can't possibly study psychology. I can't possibly add this to my life because I've already become an actor. And then when I was hired as a writer, well, I have to leave behind this other acting part uh-huh. of me to be a writer, right? And I started to... Um, this, yeah, this integration of self-term, what do you yeah. mean exactly by that? I mean understanding that it is not only okay, but special and unique to have many different things that you do and are. Mm-hmm. And for me... It has been the most grounding choice. Mm-hmm. I did not think that it would be okay as a person who very luckily was enjoying a wonderful career as a voice actor and mm-hmm. as a writer. Um, I didn't think it would be okay to take the time and the energy. And frankly, and what, what ended up being a bit of an identity shift mm-hmm. to study psychology and to mm-hmm. bring that into my world. Because I thought, well, what what will they think in the industry? Mm-hmm. You know, and at the time, I'm doing tons of games. I'm doing tons of animation. I'm making a good living. Mm-hmm. But what will it look like? Will it look like, does, does this mean Julie Nathanson can't make a living as an actor anymore? Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wanting to study psychology and work in that field because I wasn't doing well or that I wasn't in love with the work I was doing as a performer and as a writer. Mm. It was because there was a missing piece for me. Mm. And again, high school yearbook, um, was it most like later in life to become a singing psychologist. Mm. Not kidding. So I, I had a dear friend. This was, um, I'm trying to think about how many years ago I went back and got the master's. So it was 2002 that I went back to school. Wow. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend who had always relied on me to you know, process and talk about the things in our lives, and, and he was going through a tough time. And he was an actor, and, um, and somehow in our conversation, he's like, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you a therapist? Why aren't you doing this work? You love it so much, and, and it's such a fascination for you. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm already doing it. I can't. How would I ever do it? I've actually never told the story. And, um, and he said, I just worked with Marsha Cross on something. And, you know, she got a master's in clinical psychology. In psychology. I said, what do you mean? Well, yeah. I said, well, she, she was on Desperate Housewives and she was on like, I, this was before Desperate Housewives. So she was on Melrose Place and she's, you know, a famous actress. How, how did she? He said, yeah. She wanted to get a degree in psychology and, and she did it. And I said, but her identity is as an actor. He said, yeah, but you don't, you know, if this is really important to you, there are people who still do this, you know, who, who can integrate. So I started looking into the programs. I looked into the program that, that she went to. It wasn't the right one for me. Um, but I, I found the school of psychology that worked for me and I found the program and, 
and I wrote an e I wrote an email to all of my voiceover agents, and I said I actually applied to school without telling my family, hmm. and um, it, they were really shocked. Hmm. Um, I had always wanted to study psychology. I had always wanted, frankly, to be a therapist. As much as I loved all these other things, I also wanted this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I wanted one instead of the other. Mm -hmm. I wanted all of these things. I wanted all of the different multiverses to exist together. Mm -hmm. So I applied to school and I got in and I was fortunate to be able to pay for it myself because I had this thriving career as a voice actor and a writer. Mm-hmm. And I called my family and I said, so I'm, I'm going back to school. I'm, gonna, I'm getting a, going to graduate school for a psychologist. And they fell over. What are you doing? You're joining the family business? What's happening? <laughs> we had no idea. And I said, well, I wanted to do it on my own. Um, so the integration of self-peace was, for a long time, I kept it quiet. I didn't want anyone to know. It's only been the past few years that I've even been public at all in this space mm-hmm. about doing this work. Mm-hmm. In psychology it's wow. deeply important to me I love it I'm passionate about it I did not get into it because I wasn't doing well in my creative world mm. it's not a fallback thing for me it is a passion for me it is something that is part of who I am and being able to acknowledge that and bring it into my world without worrying that I'm shifting identities or how will it look to one that I do the other mm-hmm. you know I specialize in working with creative people because Hollywood is infamous for that mm-hmm. which is if you are a writer you can't be an actor and right. if you're an actor you can't be a director right. like they don't have right. they want to categorize you well it's the crayon thing mm-hmm. it's pick a crayon mm-hmm. you will be you know cerulean blue and that's it yep well wait hold on a second I'm also interested in lemon yellow yeah I'm really curious about burnt umber well, who, who knows be? what burnt umber is yeah Kristen? right I know but I want to use all the colors. Mm-hmm. And I like to encourage people to do the same thing. So this goes back to your question about what advice would I give. Mm-hmm. You can be lots of things. One of the things I love about voiceover is I can be lots of voices. Yeah. We can be that in ourselves. But it does beg the question, how does one manage one's schedule when you're trying to do all these things? One does not enjoy the sleeping. <laughs> 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 I, I unfortunately... Um, I resent sleep. I think it's a, I think it's a design flaw. I love. Sleep. I really, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> no, I, I sometimes try I to it. sleep and it doesn't work, but other times I just want to be awake. I yeah. want to do things, and then I'm like falling asleep on the couch while I'm reading three books. Yeah. Um. It my, the, my world is balanced very carefully. Mm. Um. I have to leave as much room as I can for my agents to be able to schedule my voiceover career as needed. And um, that's what I've been doing for such a long time. And I love it. Um, Writing projects I take, I don't, you know, I can't be staffed anymore. Um, On television shows I I had written um, for a show a long time ago and I was executive story editor and it was lovely and wonderful and I was writing all the time, but I I don't, that doesn't fit into my lifestyle anymore Mm -hmm. to have this, you know, um, writer's room to go to every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the work that I do as a writer now is is more project by project. So mm-hmm. I fit that in as needed for myself. Gotcha. And in terms of the work I do in psychology, um, I set my own schedule. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't 
do a lot of um, integration in terms of you know social media and advertising that this is something that I do. Sure. Um, I keep my practice small, mm-hmm. but it's um, within my own control, and I schedule it according to how my creative work is is working that week. Yeah. And as I said, I I, um, I work with um, I specialize in working with creative people whose schedules are also fluctuating. Yeah. Um, so it works out pretty well. It's kind of unconventional that way. Yeah. So yeah, I would think that the, the biggest schedule conflict would be between the writing and the voice acting, <laughs> which it sounds like it was when you were the executive it story editor. It was, you said? yeah, okay. yeah. And I, 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 at this point, it really is much more project by project. Yeah. Um, and so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do either a writing assignment or you know whatever I've chosen to work on. I also have a writing partner um, occasionally where um, we do for just a couple projects she and I do together, pilots mm-hmm. we've written and things that we're throwing on the market with her attached also because she's a performer. Gotcha. Um, and those things, again, they, they kind of fit into wherever the spaces are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I go with what the energy tells me. Yeah. You know, if, if a writing project is heating up and I need to make sure that I'm slowing down in other areas, I will do that. Yeah. If voiceover is demanding my attention, I'll move toward that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm, I'm never looking to just do one or the other. Mm-hmm. I like that I get to do all of these all things. Of and they're all, as I said, deeply important to me. Sure. I'm passionate about psychology. I'm passionate about writing. And I'm passionate about voiceover. So let's just wrap it up with talking about that GDC panel, because that was really <laughs> fascinating to me. Thanks. And a really great application, especially from, I mean, it must be interesting as a writer that it must, being in the position of the writer must give you insight into the actor's process as well, because mm-hmm. you're on the other side of the glass, so to, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, uh, how, how did this panel at GDC how did this come about, and, and what were you trying to express to the developers? So I, I've i worked on Guild Wars 2, as, as, I, as have you, yes. for a very long time. Um, I It's been over 10 years um, working with them, and I think having a working relationship with one developer for a long period of time has sort of afforded me the luxury of a, a very specific perspective, which is, why does this work so well? So... I know that I had, at one point, they did a tally of how many characters I'd voiced. At one point, it was 29. I think it's more wow. at this point. Um, but I started to think, and, and ta- so Eve um, Eschenbacher, who's now, uh, now she's not actually at uh, ArenaNet anymore, but um, she was there for a very long time. And we struck up a friendship and talked a lot about, like, what is it? Why does this work so well? Why is it that when Guild Wars 2 comes to town, we're all like, oh, I've got a Guild Wars session. Why are we all excited about it? What's working? Uh And we started thinking about how with that game, there are so many characters, and they had to get to know their actors so well to get a sense of what kind of versatility each actor had. Uh-huh. And what is it that they're listening for in one session that lets them know that, oh, you know what, Crispin's going to be able to do this this weird little frog-like character as well, in addition to his... How did you, you know I played a frog character? Because I kind of knew. Because <laughs> I can hear it. Um, so, so what is it about that person's voice print or what they bring to the table and how they are in the room and what are you listening for? And, and it, it, we started talking about how the nature of that work over time became so collaborative. Uh-huh. And then we thought, well, what lessons can we, can we extrapolate from this that might be useful for other developers? 
Um, and I started sharing with her over the years, this is what the actors are going through. This is what happens when I get the copy, right? Here's what I'm researching. Here's how cuckoo I am and how many hours I'm obsessing over what I'm doing. But, you know, this is what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And she would say, well, here's, here's where we are. And as we discussed it, we realized how, how separate these entities have been traditionally. But art in itself is collaborative. Uh -huh. Games are hugely collaborative. By the time we're finished, by the time everyone is finished making a game, uh -huh. the game is interactive by nature. Uh -huh. It's a collaboration between the players and the developers. Uh -huh. So why can't the process itself, even if we're in different places, have a collaborative mindset? Uh -huh. So no, we're not always going to be in the same place and sitting together around a conference table and talking about how to develop the character. Mm -hmm. But we can come at it from a collaborative perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's this really cool concept called neural synchrony, mm -hmm. which is basically... <laughs> so, so researchers have, have taken people who are collaborating all in the same room together. Mm -hmm. right? You and I are in the same room together. Let's say we're collaborating on a project. Mm -hmm. And they can hook up our brains to EEGs. Mm -hmm. And during the time that we are truly collaborating and connecting, our brain waves can be traced over each other. Mm, they sync up. They're in sync. Mm -hmm. So when you say, hey, we're really on the same wavelength, we're really in sync, that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. That's neural synchrony. It's being able to synchronize, right, with another person because of the method of collaboration, because mm -hmm. you're using it as a tool or because you are actually having that flow of collaboration at the same time. And is this, this brain wave pattern that, that synchronizes, is that like the same regardless of what you're collaborating on or do the, does the wave pattern change? Like if you're collaborating on this project, there's one wave pattern. If you collaborate on this project, it's a different frequency, but it's still in sync. I don't know the answer, but my gut is B. I would that imagine it that it differs okay. because it's not about, you know, the same wave for everything we do. It would be our brains are jumping at the same pace. Right. Like, right? like if we both go into REM sleep, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's probably right. a commonality of that, of that uh, frequency of, yeah. the, of the brain wave. But so what you're saying is, no, it's, it's not just going into a collaboration state, no. that the collaboration state varies depending on what's I, been collaborated I'm going to guess at it. I have a fascination with cognitive neuroscience, but I don't mm -hmm. have a degree in it, so yeah. I don't, I don't want to sort not? of make an assumption. <laughs> Do you really want to know the answer? The answer is I looked into a cognitive neuroscience PhD program after I graduated with my master's, but I there were some classes that were prerequisites I didn't like. I didn't want to take them, so I didn't. So now I just read all the things. I'm normal. Um, so... In terms of coming from a collaborative perspective, at least understanding what are the actors going through and how, how much we want. It's almost like we want to please the developers. Mm -hmm. You know what? We want to get the job. Mm. We're auditioning for your, for your incredible project. Mm. You want us to sync up mm -hmm. with the vision you have and, and you know, the aural vision mm -hmm. <laughs> that you have, um, which is not really a thing. Um, of the character and how, how can we all match each other. Mm -hmm. So with enough information given, with enough information received, maybe we can be collaborating. Then we get in the room together, mm -hmm. right? And if a developer walks in the room and hands me an Excel spreadsheet and says, go, I can do it. I can totally do it. I've been doing this for a really long time. I can go down the page. You can give me context or, 
or you don't have to give me context. I'm going to be able to give you the performance that maybe you're needing. Mm-hmm. However, if I walk in the room and the developer says, I want to show you this rendering of your character. I want to show you this gameplay. I want you to see the trailer. I want you to see a little bit about what we're doing in this game. I want you to get the vibe. Here's some of the music that we're using. Uh I am already feeling let in. Uh And as soon as I feel included, Uh my mind starts going. I start to feel more creatively in sync and attuned. I'm more apt to fire toward, like I said, the brain fires toward possibility. Uh I'm looking for ways to get to that aesthetic that you're interested in. Uh And so the more I feel that I've been invited into the process, the more collaborative I'm going to be in the room, the more you're going to get out of me Uh as a performer. So that's the kind of thing that we were hoping to impart. Gotcha. Bringing in actors. And yes, you know, you did mention it. With um, games, there is such a high degree of confidentiality and secrecy. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you and I have had... Um, off-mic discussions about this for a long time with the concept of transparency and how much we want to understand, we want to be let into the process. Mm-hmm. Having spoken with developers who've been burned by people sharing information they shouldn't, mm-hmm. I do have an understanding of, of how, how delicate it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if all of the secrets get out there mm-hmm. and um, a developer has their their new game spilled before they're able to share what they want to. Something is lost. Yeah. But at the same time, if actors aren't let in enough, mm-hmm. we're not able to give the performance that's as connected mm-hmm. and as emotionally attuned to mm-hmm. the moment that we could. Yeah. And that the game hopes for. Yeah. So bridging how, the gap. How was the panel received? Quite well. Good. We got very good scores. People seem to really enjoy it. Um, I was very excited that that there were um, there were quite a few people in the audience who came up afterwards and wanted to talk to us a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was quite well received. Yeah. You know, I I think it was a different a different kind of talk for GDC. Mm-hmm. Um, while we did touch on some of the topics that I think have been discussed before about how to get a great voiceover performance, looking at it from a collaborative mindset perspective and thinking about, you know, how can we bring in this other entity and recognize that we're all working together was new. And I was pleased that it wasn't so highfalutin that people were... <laughs> Sort of, you know, kicking over their chairs. Nobody flipped tables. Oh, I was good. pretty psyched about that. I think it is, it can be a trap that people who don't understand the acting process can think of actors like a font. Mm-hmm. I need a font here. Mm-hmm. I need this at 12, mm-hmm. t- you know, 12 point mm-hmm. New York or 18 mm-hmm. point Courier or whatever. It's funny, when you said font, I pictured F-A-U-N-T, like a fountain of. Oh, yes. So I That's thought, right. yes, we, they, they want us to be a fountain of something. No, 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 no. You mean actually no. Helvetica. Yes. Got I it. I mean, and it's always Helvetica. <laughs> Times New Roman. Um, it's always Helvetica, Times New Roman, and Courier. Um, uh, and uh, so that they think that what we do, mm-hmm. the misunderstanding mm-hmm. is that we are just a font. Mm-hmm. Just give me that flavor. Just mm-hmm. give me that emotion yeah. without understanding mm-hmm. w- what it takes to bring authenticity mm-hmm. to something. Mm-hmm. And when you say, yeah, you can go down the spreadsheet and you can give them what they want, mm-hmm. well, I'm sure you're brilliant, and I've been in that same situation myself, and we can give them something that's good, mm-hmm. but I don't think we can give them something that's great. And if they're, if they're like, well, that's good enough, 
That's really disheartening because you and I are both like, oh, but it could be so good. <laughs> you know, like, and, and here's the thing. I, I really, I really do connect with what you're saying. I want everything to be as authentic as possible, as appropriate and aesthetically pleasing as possible. And the truth is sometimes people are on such a schedule mm-hmm. and the game doesn't need all of the connection sure. that you and I want to give it. Yeah, right? that's true. <clears throat> and what they need is to go down the page and just get your lines done. And so we've been doing this long enough, you and I, that we can deliver that. There have been times, though, where I've been raked over the coals online because I was rushed. Mm. And they say, why did Crispin phone this in? And if they had known... Don't read the comments, the Crispin. Ridiculousness, <laughs> the ridiculous um, circumstances I was under mm-hmm. that... Right. There was, I, I, I had no other choice. Right. And to be able to say, guys, come on, mm-hmm. we can do better than this, mm-hmm. right? We can, we can find better ways to collaborate yeah. and make this work. I mean, as you know, it's, it's this, this opens up a broader discussion for another day. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Which it is does. about, you know, the, the developer crunch and, and the pressure they're under mm-hmm. to, to do things so quickly and, and you know, and... But what I love, what I love about the the nature of your talk, you said, well, they they've done panels about how to get the best thing out of a voice actor, mm-hmm. and I think that 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 is again treating the actor a little bit like a font, <laughs> and I think that even people who are aspiring to be voice actors can look at voice acting and think of it like that. Like mm-hmm. if I just play these notes, mm-hmm. right? If I just say it with this intonation, Lord knows that was a trap I fell into mm-hmm. as an actor when I was younger. Is I thought, oh well, when I'm angry, I use this intonation, right? <laughs> And, and it wasn't actually rooted in right. anything emotionally authentic mm-hmm. uh, or, or physical. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've loved about our whole conversation together is that um, clearly you have chops, as we say. You know, you've got good technique, but it's never the technique that saves you. It's mm-hmm. the, the technique keeps you physically healthy, mm-hmm. you know, keeps you from damaging yourself, mm-hmm. which is awesome. But when it comes to are you going to book that role? Uh, and you and I, I'm sure, could tell lots of stories about how it was n- almost never the technique Mm-mm. that made us book some of our most iconic roles. Mm-hmm. It's because of the research, the empathy, mm-hmm. and then the voice print falls out of us. Absolutely. And, and I think that's why the, the, the age-old <laughs> conversation that we get into, which is someone saying, Hey, someone said I have a really good voice. Can I do voice acting? I'm going to be really good at it because I got this raspy thing. And I'm like, I don't know. Do you have a passion for, for performance? Have you studied? You know, what do you know about it? Tell me about your experience. No, I just, I just talk a lot and this is what I sound like. <laughs> well, cool. That's great. But that's not the only thing. Yeah. So, so yes, you know, if, if we just start with, how does a character sound? Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can pick lots of things. Apparently, my Grover impression was pretty great. Let's yeah. all let's all return to how great the Grover. I mean, <laughs> but like you know, that's not that's not actually the heart of what we do. Yeah. it's it's the it's like the I don't know. It's like the the flavor it's on the, the top of it. It's the sauce. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sprinkled on top. Yeah. But the rest of it is the core. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that, emphasizing that, especially with someone who has your uh, knowledge, both of the sort of psychology, human psychology, your knowledge of and your experience with different people, and your experience as a writer, having to create the structure, the jungle gym, as it were, <laughs> that the actors are going to swing on and, and, and interpret and perform and, and bring to life. 
um, and to hear, yeah, doesn't matter which angle you're coming from, <laughs> you know, if you don't if you don't understand the the empathetic nature mm -hmm. of the character, mm -hmm. um, the engine's not running. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Julie. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you for being so generous with your insight and expertise. <laughs> and babbling. Yes, and babbling. Good thank babbling. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. On your lovely podcast. Of course. <laughs> I want to thank Julie not only for her wonderful insights into acting in the world of voiceover, but also for her empathy and interest in other human beings. When Julie is with you, you can feel that you have her complete attention. That is a refreshing experience, especially in today's world when we are so often distracted by electronic devices, which seem to constantly pester us to interact with them. Julie's ability to focus so completely on the person in front of her is a testament to her true fascination with the human psyche and how much she genuinely cares about other people. It's no wonder that so many in the industry are eager to work with her. Before I close this episode, I want to touch on the idea of the integration of the self that Julie brought up during our time together. It's an interesting topic that deserves attention and contemplation. We've talked extensively in this interview about how Julia has done her best to integrate her different career interests in such a way that she can enjoy working as a voice actor, as a writer, and as a therapist all simultaneously. It's wonderful that she's had the courage and creativity to find her own way to combine those different professional interests in a way that she finds satisfying. However, career integration is not the only type of integration that Julie is talking about. Integration of the self doesn't just mean finding a way to synthesize your different professional interests into a cohesive whole. Integration of the self also means exploring the different parts of your psyche and discovering ways to have them work together harmoniously. The human psyche is like an iceberg, and most of the beliefs that inform our behavior are underwater, so to speak, in what many call our subconscious. We rarely share the entire totality of who we are on a daily basis with other people in our lives. Instead, we develop a persona or a mask that we present to others around us that helps us navigate society and life in general. The term persona actually comes from the Greek word for a mask worn by an actor. So the persona we use to interact with the world is merely a small subset of who we truly are as a person and is shaped by our upbringing and the culture that surrounded us. Had you been raised in a different place or a different time, your way of interacting with the world would be different. You might speak, dress, or behave differently. In other words, you might wear a different persona mask. If you're new to thinking in this way, you may feel that your current persona is the only one possible for you. But the truth is, regardless of what persona mask you wear, the larger part of your psyche underneath is always there to explore if you're willing to do so. That larger, essential part of you is where your creativity comes from. It's the part of you that doesn't worry about how you might look in the moment, but just wants to play wildly, as Julie mentioned earlier in this episode. The larger part of you not only holds your hopes and dreams, but some of your deepest fears as well. Sometimes those deeply held beliefs can come into conflict with each other and cause emotional pain. You may find yourself in turmoil as different parts of your psyche disagree. This can be especially true for actors. 
Actors share their emotional depths with others in order to portray characters believably for an audience. This means that as an actor, you are diving into deep psychological waters to discover and reveal emotional truths about the characters you are asked to play. Therefore, I would encourage you to do your best to integrate all the different parts of yourself that are often hidden from others so you can explore those emotional depths safely. Be gentle with yourself and take the time to learn who you really are underneath your persona mask. There are many different ways to do this. Some people use a journal as a tool to share their innermost thoughts with themselves. Others explore their own psyches through artistic pursuits. Some test themselves using athletics. Still others might want to talk to a therapist in order to bring an awareness to their conscious mind of what is driving them subconsciously. Whatever method you use, becoming aware of the different, deeper parts of your psyche and learning how to integrate yourself as a person can not only help you grow as an artist, but it can also give you greater satisfaction in your life as well. Therefore, I encourage you to be courageous and to explore your deeper psyche with the goal of finding more and more integration. To be clear, integration of the self is not an end goal or a final state that you're trying to achieve in order to just be finished. Instead, integration of the self is a constant process of growing and learning more about yourself as you go through life. It's a constantly unfolding path that can lead you to a deeper understanding of yourself and of the world we all live in. It can be an amazingly creative and satisfying process, and I hope my discussion with Julie has inspired you to learn more about yourself and the people around you. I'm so grateful to Julie for talking about such important topics with me. I've really learned a lot from our time together, and I hope you have too. If you've enjoyed this interview, I would so appreciate it if you would give my podcast a nice review on whatever platform you use to listen to it. Every positive review helps make it easier for other aspiring voice actors to find this information. Thanks again for listening, and I wish you all the best in your voice acting endeavors. Take care. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening.